Good morning. Welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today is both our annual Biker Sunday and the start of a brand new series examining the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. This book is traditionally one that has given readers a difficult time with what appears on the surface to be a very despondent and even cynical look at the world. Because of this, our study this morning is going to focus on some key introductory matters, as well as seeking to offer an overview of the entirety of the whole book, so that we can get our arms around the message that God would want us to know from this important contributor to the Hebrew wisdom tradition. And thanks for joining with us as we look to what it means to chase after the wind, as what happens when we live and define ourselves without God. When I was young, there was uh, something I routinely would look forward to, which was Saturday morning cartoons. Anybody else with me on that? Sat- I mean, Garfield was my favorite. I couldn't wait. And so I'd get up early, flip on the old tube, you know, that took a minute to turn on, not like the ones we got today. And I'd just veg out there Saturday morning. Well, one particular Saturday morning, my dad walked in. He said, Ryan, get your shoes on. Now I knew what that meant. I knew that meant cartoons were getting sacrificed today is what that meant. And I asked my dad, why? Ooh, that was not a good move. Not a good move on my part. So what was happening was uh, I was going to be my father's helper for cutting wood for this particular day. And all I knew was that my agenda was getting interrupted for what I wanted to do with what I thought was best because I was having to do what he wanted because he had this whole plan and purpose designed that involved me, but that was totally separate from my plans. So in asking why, there was so much behind the scenes that I had no clue on. I only knew what time Garfield started. That's all I knew. My dad knew, though, that there were only so many weekends in the summer and the fall that we could prepare for winter to cut wood. My dad knew that there was a a logging outfit that was going to come to the National Forest and cut down a couple standing elms that he had his eye on and that we needed to go that weekend and not next weekend. My dad knew that there was rain headed in the forecast the following day, so it was today my dad knew this was the time. The thing was, I didn't know any of that. I didn't know any of what was happening behind the scenes. All I needed to do was trust the one who did. That's all I needed to do. But of course, I was a little bit upset. Of course, I I had my plans ruined uh, because I thought my day should go different. Has God ever done that in your life? Has your heavenly father ever done that in your life? Introduced something into the equation of your life that you thought, hey, now I I had other plans. Why are you doing it this way, God? And really what you will find is that instead of giving God the honor and respect due Him, we in our flesh are very quick to be hesitant and resistant to obedience. And in the same way that my dad gave a sign, crossed his arms, when I asked him why, he hated that question. He hated when I asked why. Because he knew I wasn't asking why to find out how I could help. I was asking why to find out if I could make his plans a little different than what they were. Have you ever wanted to change God's plans? Have you ever thought, you know what, if God just asked me once in a while what I thought we should do, I could probably straighten him out. We could get this thing done the way it should go. Uh, there, there, is a, there is a real danger in our world 
within the human frailty and fallenness to not honor God as God and to instead want to elevate ourselves and our plan and our agenda to the position of God's authority. And when we do that, we dishonor God and we fail to fall in line with the purposes that he has set forth. Now, I want to be real honest as we begin this new series that this is a very this is a very difficult subject because we're not talking about as something as trite or small as missing cartoons. We're talking about things as heavy as the death of loved ones. Uh, untimely deaths that we would say people did not reach the full measure of their years that they should have. And even in the case of very recently in our community, the death of infants. This is a very, very serious issue. The writers of Scripture understood that as they looked at the world around them, there was an incompatibility with the way things ought to go that we see as compared to how they actually go. The, the world doesn't work the way it seems it ought to. If you do good, you should be rewarded for good, shouldn't you? And if you're doing bad, you should be punished for doing bad. As the, as the writers looked and with the wisdom of God, they say, but that's not what we see happening. Furthermore, the effort that we put forth on the earth doesn't seem to be rewarded. And so there is this discontinuity that's very hard to make sense of. In our world today, by the way, this is at the top of the list for the objections that come from those who don't want to believe in God. For people who say, I want nothing to do with God. I don't even believe there is a God. And one of the main reasons is because they see this discontinuity and say, you know what, if there was a God, why do we see so much suffering? Why do we see so much injustice? Why do we see so much evil in the world? And I get it. I get it you had plans. Your Saturday was supposed to go this way, but God threw a monkey wrench into the plan. The writer of the book of Ecclesiastes examines this exact subject. And so over the course of these next Sundays, we're going to study it. We're going to study it in depth. Uh, but today, what I'd like to do for us is give us just a short little primer on the book itself so that we're able to get our bearings to know what's going to be happening through the text. And then secondly, to walk us through a quick overview. So, did y'all hear me say quick? <laughs> You're going to think it's lengthy. Trust me. It's going to be quick. Uh, we're going to try to actually work through the beginning, the middle, and the end of the book. Uh, so that, that's the plan today, to, to look at uh, a primer over some of the themes and subjects that we have to be aware of. And then secondly, to make sure that we're able to know where we're going to be in the book with an overview of the whole thing. So today is kind of a special Sunday. I hope you get to come back and continue in this study with us. But if not, this is going to be kind of the book of Ecclesiastes in a nutshell. It's going to try to encapsulate really the, the overview of the whole, whole book. So if you have your Bibles, please find the book of Ecclesiastes. It's found in the section of your Old Testament called Wisdom Literature, following the book of Proverbs. So Job and Psalms and Proverbs, Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon or Song of Songs are all wisdom literature in our Bibles. Um, they correspond with a kind of writing that is defined by the genre of poetry. So it's going to be very poetic. You're going to find a lot of uh, symbolism, a lot of imagery. That's what we'll be working through as we look through it. Um, I'm going to go over a, a couple of things first, and then we're going to read through our passage and then seek to make some observations. Uh, first thing I want to do is teach you a couple Hebrew words. The first is koheleth. So if you look in your Bibles, in verse 1, 
It says, the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Commentators have studied Ecclesiastes, think that one of the most likely options for our author is the son of David, who was also the king, named Solomon. You might be thinking that as well. And it's very likely that this is Solomon, but there are few little inconsistencies in the book that cause uh, commentators to think, well, we don't know. We really can't say definitively who the author is. And so the Hebrew word you have in verse 1, koheleth, means teacher. And so I am, for the sake of our study, going to try to refer to the author as simply the teacher. Um, it might be Solomon. It could be somebody else. We are going to, though, look at it as though it is somebody who's seeking to teach us. So we come as students to the book of Ecclesiastes. That's the first word. The second one is probably the most important word. It's a Hebrew word, hevel. Um, I, when I was learning Hebrew, would, would think of it with the, uh, it sounded like heavy to me. Hevel sounded like Heavy, And the word means, well, it's the word translated here as meaningless. In my NIV verse 2, it says meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. In Hebrew, that would read hevel, hevel, says koheleth. So th- these are just the, the structural words that I'm wanting us to kind of make sure that we've got our bearings around. Hevel means vain striving. It's a Hebrew word that refers to something that cannot be grasped or contained, or kept. It's, it's like air. It's, you you can't, can't hold on to it. Um, it's, it's vain for you to strive after it. it. The word could be translated as smoke, right? It's just something that you just cannot get your arms around. Uh, it has both in mind the concept of enigma, so something that can't be fully understood, something that can't be figured out, which is why in English we have the word translated as meaningless, um, I think of, I think of heaviness sometimes. Have you ever had like somebody try to explain something to you and you're just raising an eyebrow like, you know, I missed a part. I, I, don't, I don't quite get it. You know what I mean? Sometimes I feel like that's like a, a heaviness trying to figure something out that can't be figured out. And so when I think of hevel, I think of heaviness. I think of hard to understand, hard to conceive and make sense of. That's what the word meaningless means here. I want to make sure the reason why I'm pointing that out is because I don't want you to think meaningless means has no meaning. Um, Your Bible may have a different word. Vanity. Does anyone's Bible say vanity? Yeah. So vain means fruitless. Uh, I believe that the best definition that's going to be useful for our study is going to be vain striving. So it's a kind of effort you would put forth that will accomplish nothing. It's like when uh, Sadie, my little seven-year-old, we go to the airport, and her favorite thing at the airport is the escalator. It's her favorite thing. Now, which of the two escalators do you think she wants to get on? The one that takes us where we need to go or the one that's going in the opposite direction? She wants to get on the one that's going the opposite direction, and it's hilarious because she's on it, and she's hustling as fast as she can, but she's getting what? She's going nowhere. That's heaven. That's what Hevel is. It's all this effort that you would put forth, but you'd never make any progress. Our next uh, subject here is a phrase that you will find repeated again and again in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's called a a striving after... uh, Oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm I'm skipping ahead here. So under the sun, um, if you look at verse 3, it says, What does man gain from all of his labor at which he toils 
under the sun. And uh, then again, over in chapter 2 and verse 11, nothing was gained under the sun. Verse 17, so I hate, um, chapter 2 again, so I hated life, the work that is done under the sun. Verse 19, yet he will have no control over all the work to which he has poured all my effort and skill under the sun. Verse 20, so my heart began to despair of all my toilsome labor under the sun. Are you guys tracking with this being repeated? What does that mean? What does this phrase mean? And this is a key to understanding the book of Ecclesiastes. If you miss this, you will miss it all. This is the key that unlocks everything. As the writer is examining life, he's examining it from the point of view of man's perspective. So when we see the phrase under the sun, the entirety of the book of Ecclesiastes is asking the question, how can we live our lives without God? Just under the sun, not looking above the sun where God lives, but just looking from what humans have access to, what people can see, that's what the phrase under the sun means. So the whole of the book of Ecclesiastes is going to be putting on trial the very existence of God. If God does not exist, then this is what life looks like. So the very best that we can do from man's perspective is going to be evaluated here by the writer of Ecclesiastes. And that phrase is keyed in with this, uh, these words right here, under the sun. All right, hope, hope that's making sense. Um, <clears throat> the, there was one other one here, uh, chasing after the wind. This is a, that's a kind of synonym for uh, hevel, right? That's, that's what the meaningless means, chasing after the wind. Um, has anyone ever tried to catch the wind? Can't catch it, right? You can chase it, you'll never catch it. That's vain striving. Last thing that I want to share with you before we uh, read and make some observations is the structure of the book of Ecclesiastes does not follow a linear kind of logical progression that we find in many of the New Testament books. So being wisdom literature, what you're going to see is that there are these little themes that just kind of like leaves blowing in the wind. They rise up and fall and they rise up and fall again. They rise up and fall. And so as the writer is working through all of his observations... He's going to return again and then leave and return and leave many different themes. That's what we will be examining in the next nine weeks. I have them listed out here. They're themes such as death, work, justice, pleasure, wisdom, legacy, power, achievement, and riches. If you didn't get those written down, that's okay. We'll be studying those every week as we move forward. But these are the themes that are going to be little circles of thought that we will have to piece back and forth into as we look at the text. Okay, with that as an introduction, it's a teacher, Koheleth is his name. Uh, the, the primary theme here is this vain striving that's hevel. Uh, we need to know that the writer is examining this from the perspective of men under the sun, so without God, and then the themes are going to be scattered throughout the book. With that in mind, I'd like to read starting in chapter 1, and then we're going to make some observations from there. So Ecclesiastes chapter 1, 1 through 15. <clears throat> the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What does man gain? From all of his labor at which he toils under the sun. Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. 
The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was already here long ago. It was here before our time. There is no remembrance of men of old. And even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. All right, that, that's kind of the, the opening complaint. Now you're going to get kind of the thesis statement of the book. Verse 12. I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under heaven. What a heavy burden God has laid on men. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless. A chasing after the wind. What is twisted cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. All right, well, we're going to pause there. There are two markers in what we just read that is going to influence as we continue into the book right in the very middle and at the end. I just want to point out the markers to you. The first is in verse 2. Meaningless, meaningless is the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. He's going to repeat that same thing at the end of the book. So today we're going to start with the introduction and the conclusion being examined according to those markers. The second was found in verse 15. This is the second marker. This is describing the prerogative of God. He says, what is twisted cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. We're going to see that same little parable, same little proverb uh, repeated in the middle of the book. So we're going to return to that in just a moment. I'd like us to begin, however, with what we just read in chapter one with a couple of observations. Number one is this. Without God, your life has no objective meaning. When he starts it in verse 3, what does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? I want you to see how he sees the cyclical nature of his observations. What does it say in, gener- in, in verse 4? Generations come and generations go. Uh, verse 5, the sun rises and the sun sets. Uh, verse 6, the wind blows to the south and turns to the north. So he uses example after example after example to say that there really is nothing that's being accomplished. There's really nothing that is meaningful in the work that you can do. You're just basically moving stuff around. Like the the water is just being moved around, but if you put your effort to move it here, guess what it does? It goes right back over there again. So everything that you would seek to find objective meaning in without God is vacuous. Now, I don't mean by this that you cannot have relative meaning. All right, don't let me lose you this morning. There's a difference between universal meaning or objective meaning and purpose in our lives and that which is subjective or relative to you. Uh, for example, <clears throat> my son was playing soccer this year, and one of his goals, to, one of, 
It's a pun. One of his goals in playing soccer was to score a goal. And, and lo and behold, he did. It was like the best day. We were cheering. We went out for ice cream. His purpose to find meaning was to score a goal. That's, that's only relative meaning, though. That's not objective meaning. In the, in the large scheme of things, what did that goal matter? I, I scored goals when I was a kid. I don't remember a single one of them. Maybe you have things that you strove for earlier in life, things that were so important to, to you that now today you're like, I don't, I don't even remember what those were. The wisdom of the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes, the wisdom of the teacher says that without God, when we just look under the sun, there is no meaning that's objective. The only thing that you have is up to you. Now think about that for a moment. What happens when you become the definer of your purpose in life? What, what have you just become? I hear some of you catching this. You have just become your own God. You have just become the one who determines what I should do and what I shouldn't do. And so without God, the very first observation we see is that um, objective meaning, universal meaning is absent without God. Secondly is this, without God, your life has no satisfying meaning. Uh, If you look again in the text with me, starting in verse 7, he says, all streams flow into the sea, but the sea is never full. That's, That's a little riddle, ain't it? Aren't rivers always running into the ocean? But the ocean never gets full. Hmm. There's something to that. It's never, the, the idea here is that the largest bodies of water are never satisfied. They just want more and more and more. And then he says in verse 8, the eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear enough of hearing. Um, this theme is going to come back throughout the rest of uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. But I want you to think, even in terms of the things you would treasure most in this world, Uh, John D. Rockefeller, richest man in his generation, was asked, how much money is enough? Like, when do you know you have enough money? Do you remember what he said? Just a little more. Just need a little bit more. Think about the person you love the most, your spouse or your family or your kids. And you ever get to the point when they say, you know, I love you, that you say, you know what? I'm good. I don't don't need any more. I'm all filled up on love. I don't ever need a hug again in my life. We don't work that way, do we? You never have enough. And in fact, to put that kind of expectation and pressure on another human creature is to require something from them that they cannot give. Because all of us have a date and destiny with death. The only one who you truly can find satisfaction, eternal fulfillment in is not a love displayed from one another, but the love of God. So finding your hope in family, finding your hope in a spouse, is to really expect something that can never deliver. And so satisfying meaning in your life is impossible without God. It's impossible. You will ever be wanting more. Okay, number three. Without God, your life has no eternal meaning. Now, again, I don't want to say that uh, you don't, it's not that you don't have meaning. The problem is you have to assign it. Without God, you assign the meaning. And here's the problem. You are temporary. The, the things that you would demand right now, the things you would strive after right now, don't last into eternity. If you look with me back in the text once more, verse 11, he says, There is no remembrance of men of old. And even those who are yet to come will not be remembered. 
by those who follow. I think this is more significant in our day than any other day. Humans in our world have sought to try to memorialize those who have come before us by putting up statues. But what's going on in our world? We don't want to remember. We're, we're tearing those down. Man, that's nothing new. That's nothing new. That was happening all the way back in the teacher's day. You will probably strive in this life to extend your influence beyond the date on your gravestone. Anybody with me? I hope you're doing that. I hope you're trying to extend your life as an inheritance of tradition, an inheritance of possessions, whatever that might be for those who come after you. But what does the Bible say? There's no remembrance. Even those who are yet to come will not be remembered. So without God, this is an awesome Sunday message, isn't it? Everybody feel happy today? Without God, your life has no eternal meaning. Now for the next couple observations, we, we need to turn into the middle of Ecclesiastes. So turn with me into chapter 7. We're going to look at two verses, verses 13 and 14, and work through a few more observations. This is our overview of the book. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 13. The writer says, consider what God has done. Now watch this. Watch what he blames God for. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, a man cannot discover anything about his future. All right, I'd like to break this down for you. Uh, fourth observation, without God, your life has no sense of purpose. Look with me in verse 13. I hope as well that you caught the repetition. Did everybody see the repetition of the verse from chapter 1? Uh, that which is twisted cannot be straightened. And here he explains it again, verse 13. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? Church, this is a tough one. I want my life nice and straight. I don't, I, don't want, I don't want those sharp corners. I don't want those blindsided diagnoses or arguments or bills or whatever that might be, right? How about you? Don't you want your life nice and straight? But what happens? There's a big old monkey wrench thrown into my life. According to this text, where does that come from? And this is a, this is a difficult one, but the truth is this comes from God. And what I want you to know is God does not do this to you haphazardly. God has a purpose behind all of this. I want you to see this from Isaiah. Isaiah 45, he says, this is the Lord speaking. God says, I am the Lord. I have no peer. There is no God but me. I arm you for battle, even though you don't recognize me. I do this so people will recognize from the east to the west that there is no God but me. I am the Lord. I have no peer. I am the one who forms light and creates darkness. The one who brings about peace and creates calamity. I am the Lord who accomplishes all these things. When I was uh, working as a missionary, we would have in the structure of our buildings that were made out of concrete, many times the rebar would get salt water in it from a hurricane or something. And that um, iron bar, the rebar, with salt water, anybody knows their chemistry, it's going to rust and rust 
bursts the cement. And so we had this one particularly bad corner on the building. And I remember my son, when he was very little, I had him come out to help hand me tools, but I had to chip away because in order to fix this, you actually have to knock out all of that broken cement so that you can replace it. And so here's a picture of having knocked it all down all the way to the rebar. And I remember him asking, Dad, why are you making it worse? Because <laughs> from his perspective, what did it look like? It looked like I was taking something that was straight and making it crooked. It looked like I was taking something that, that had some integrity behind it and then ruining it. But who knew more than he did? Well, I, I knew. I, I had a purpose behind it. There was a reason why I had to be destructive before I could make the repair. I want you to know that without God, there is no sense of purpose for the bad that happens in your life. There, there's no hope. It's just tough Tough nuggies, that's what you get, I guess. Too bad for you. But if there is a God, we know that he has a purpose behind those things. Number five, uh, again in chapter seven here, without God, your life has no hope through suffering. I want to draw your attention again to verse 14. The writer says, when times are good, be happy. Who, who has trouble with that? Anybody have trouble? Go on. That ain't hard. Times are good? Everybody's happy. Everybody's having a good time. Look at the next line. Consider this. When times are bad, God made the one and God made the other. It is only to the Christian who has placed their hope in God, in the hope of resurrection, that Jesus did not stay on the cross, but rose from the dead, that we too know that when we suffer, we don't suffer for nothing. That we have a hope that transcends the sufferings of this life. But without God, you really have nothing at all. There's this another story in the Old Testament, the book of Job. Um, Job loses his children, his possessions, and his health. And his very encouraging wife tells him, why don't you curse God and just die? <laughs> the, the devil knew what he was doing, leaving Job's wife around to cause him suffering like that. Um, here's, the, uh, here's the line out of Job chapter 2. Then his wife said to him, are you still holding firmly to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he replied, you're talking like one of the godless women. And, you know, somebody who doesn't fear God, somebody who doesn't believe in God. That's how you're talking right now. Watch this line though. Job says, should we receive what is good from God and not also receive that which is evil? And in saying this, Job did not sin. Here's the point. Job recognized God might need to tear something down before he builds it up. And in the same way that the disciples were distraught for three days when Jesus was in the tomb, God knew Sunday morning was coming. And for you and I who believe in God, resurrection, resurrection day is still ahead of us. It's coming. But without God, what do you have? No, it's just, I'm really sorry that happened to you. That's the way it goes. That's life. Life's hard. Uh, Number six. Without God, your life has no hope of security. Um, If you look at the end of verse 14 with me, he says, therefore, a man cannot discover anything about his future. I think there's a little bit of a... uh, I'd love to update this translation a little bit. The word discover doesn't mean like like microscope, like, woo, discover something. That's not what he means here. Discover in this Hebrew tense means secure like discover meaning have something solid to hold on to that's that's what this word means so 
um, it, has, it has more to do with the concept of security. So it should read like this. Therefore, a man cannot secure anything about his future. So without God, it's kind of a crapshoot, isn't it? You know, playing craps? Any gamblers in church this morning, right? What, what do you do? Yeah, put it on red. Let her ride, right? And I guess that's life. I guess that's all there is to it. You, you just throw the dice. You hope for what's best. You try to make lemonade when life gives you lemons, right? That, that's all that you have. You can't secure anything without God. All right, one last passage for us to look at. I'd love for you to turn all the way to the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12. We're going to cover this in more depth again in the weeks following. I want to simply start for you in verse 8. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 8. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, Everything is meaningless. Where have we heard that before? Do you remember? That was right at the very beginning. So this is our second marker to show us how we're going to tie the book together. Uh, Verse 9. Not only was the teacher wise, he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words that what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. Their collective sayings are like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of the making of many books there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Verse 13, now that all has been heard. Here's the conclusion in the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it's good or evil. Our last observation here is that without God, there is no justice in this world. Without God, there's no justice. However, if you read the end of the story here, we're commanded to fear God and keep his commandments. Why? Why pay so much attention to God when he asks you to put your shoes on? When God asks you to ruin your day for what you wanted to do and go a direction you wouldn't want to go, why should we honor and obey him? Well, if you look again, verse 14, for God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it's good or evil. I cannot tell you what kind of good news this is, that there is a God who will proclaim justice. Otherwise, Every evildoer that's out there, every evil deed that's been done for the selfishness and glory of man will go unpunished. Do you guys watch uh, the Marvel movies, The Avengers? Anybody? Anybody? No, no takers on that. Well, I do. Me and Micah have, right? And um, the whole premise of those movies is that justice is coming. The bad guy is going to get his due. That's the whole premise. What, what is it that would make that such a popular way of thinking in our world today? What comes right from here? It comes right from the Bible. God will avenge. He, he is the avenger. God is the one who will set every wrong right. However, if there is no God, man, they just got away with it. That's it. So you better get yours too. Do you see the problem? I'd like to, what was that? You wanted me to go past 11 o'clock? Okay, okay. Are you able to see the darkness that affects those who only look under the sun and have no hope of God? For three days, Jesus was in the tomb. 
those who had hope lost it. But God knew. God had a purpose behind it all. These words are told to us in John chapter 8. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So what do we do with this today? This is, this is going to be a really important subject. You can see how this question affects all mankind. The meaning of life. What do we do? Without God? Meaningless, right? What's the point of it all? But if there is a God, I submit to you, and there's a few blanks to fill in in your sermon notes. Number one, this is what you should do. You need to center your life in Jesus as the light of life. Center your life not in you, not determining that I'm the one who, like Michael Shermer told you to do. You have to look inward. It starts with you. If you do that, you will find nothing but that the cup is ultimately empty in my life. I only have so much, and it will move you directly to the conclusion from Dr. Will Provine. Just get, it, get on with it. Just death. Let's go already. Don't center yourself as the God of your life. Center your life in Jesus as the light in the darkness of life. After this, you do this by sourcing your happiness, not in good times, but in God. This is almost a direct quote from chapter 7. Do you remember what the writer said? The teacher said, when times are good, be happy. We all, we all do that. What about when times are bad? Do you know what the Christian can do? The Christian can still be happy. I, I'm really thankful that you're letting me go a little bit over my time here, but I just want to, if you're willing, look at Matthew chapter 5 for this one. Matthew chapter 5, very quickly, because what Jesus lays out here is a promise and blessing given to those who not are having good times, but are still able to be happy because they have sourced their happiness in God. Matthew chapter 5 Verse 3, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Does that make any sense to you? Poor in spirit? By the way, the, the Greek here, blessed means happy. Blessed means happy. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Something to look forward to. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn. What? Happy are those who mourn? That's going to be a big theme in Ecclesiastes that we're going to come back to. Verse 5, blessed are the meek. Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I could go on and on. My, my point in showing you this is that you, as a Christian, will be able to transcend your circumstances and find joy in the midst of sorrow if you have sourced your happiness in God. How do you do this? Two ways, given to us by chapter 12. So we covered this already this morning, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. Now that all has been heard, here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God. Keep his commandments. What would have given my dad honor on that Saturday morning? If I did what? If I said, yes, sir. That's right. And it would have all worked out perfect. And do you know, it even did. Every time that I went with my dad, he always rewarded me with, a, with a, not only teaching me the value of hard work, spending time with him, but I got a candy bar, y'all, at the end of it. It was great. It was so much fun. Those I look back as my best memories. And I could have saved him a lot of grief and me a lot of grief if I would have just feared and obeyed. Fear here doesn't mean cower in fear. Fear means place in the proper position of authority. That's what fear means. By fearing God, I place God as God and not Ryan as God. So how do you get happiness in the bad times and the good times? I, I fear God and I obey Him. I, I reserve judgment and justice to Him and not to me. And lastly, 
Um, why do we do this? Because we believe that God will straighten every crooked thing. This is the promise that you and I have in God's word. He will remake a new heavens and a new earth where there will be no more death, no more suffering, no more tears or pain. No amens on that? No more tears or pain? Amen. Amen. The reason why you and I are able to do this is because we believe God will straighten out everything that has been made crooked. This is going to be tough couple of weeks for us because it's one thing to talk about it in the abstract. I just wrote these three things down. When we're talking about justice, so why help the helpless? Here's why. Why volunteer? Here's why. Because God sees. God sees. Why suffer? Why be willing to suffer in this life? Here's why. Because God has a purpose that we can't see. There may be a reason that you don't know about why he's having to chip away the block. Why do good? Because good has already been done for you in Jesus. Let's pray this morning.